This morning, uh, pretty excited. We get to finish up the series that we've been in for a couple weeks now called Masterpiece. And this idea that we're learning to understand not only our own value, but the value that's in the other's around us, that our value is not wrapped up in, in what we can do and what we can give and who we can be, but rather it's wrapped up in what God has given to us, that we are valued not because of our design, but because of our designer. Now, I found this great story that really connects my thoughts this morning, but I got to apologize ahead of time. There's going to be some words that I do not pronounce correctly, so just follow me, okay? In 1982, the guy by the name of Hans Joachim Bowman attacked Rubens' portrait of the Archduke Albrecht in Dusseldorf in the museum. We have a picture of it. He took a cup of sulfuric acid and threw it on his face, ruining this picture. Now, they caught this guy, right? And they find out that this guy, Hans, has now destroyed 23 pieces of art. And this blew my mind. They asked him, and this is what he said. He says, I take pleasure from destroying that which other people cherish. See, vandalism takes what is beautiful and tries to ruin it or cover it up, much like this painting we have on stage, which is one of my favorite paintings by Van Gogh. It is covered up, and you can't really fully appreciate it because it has been vandalized. See, we have a vandal in our life, a thief who doesn't want your stuff, but rather he looks to rob you of the blessings from God. He looks to steal your joy and your peace he wants to kill your influence and your integrity. He wants to destroy your value. But see, the problem is he doesn't have the power to do this, right? We talked about this in week one. And if you weren't here, it's okay. In week one, we talked about this idea that our value cannot be taken from anybody. It cannot be ruined by anything that we do. So we have this enemy in Satan, and his only real power is to deceive. So he tries to spin this false rhetoric in our lives to convince us that our value is gone by vandalizing you, the masterpiece. See, he desires for us to believe that we're unlovable, that we're worthless, that we're broken, that we're cheap, because if we believe those things, it changes the way that we live. See, we're about to go to camp here this next week. Can I tell you what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to go buy a brand new pair of shoes to take to camp, right? That would be silly because the shoes that I take to camp are probably going to get muddy and nasty and gross. You guys understand this. We don't treat new shoes that way. In fact, when I put on new shoes, I'm just like, like if it's raining outside, I'm not wearing new shoes. Like we, we treat our new clothes differently, do we not? See, this is what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to convince you that you're just this nasty old beat up pair of tennis shoes, right? So it changes the way in which you treat yourself, the way in which you live. See, I think that there are three specific tools, and for the sake of the series, we're going to call them paints. Three different paints that Satan uses to cover us up and to believe that we are not valuable. 
The first is lies. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will also be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This, this snake comes up and says, Hey, come on, just eat of this tree, right? And you're not going to die. Come on. you got to be kidding me. It's okay. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because guess what? He knows that if you eat of that tree, that you will be like him. <laughs> How's that worked out for us? Not so good, right? I have the Lord's Prayer in my office, but I, I wrote it and made it personal. And, and there's a piece of the Lord's Prayer where it says, protect us from the evil one. I changed it to say, protect me from my greatest foe, the lies of the defeated serpent. Right? Because he has no power in my life other than to deceive me with what is untrue. One of my favorite movies on the planet is The Lion King. Okay? It's okay. You forgive me. It's just it's so good. It's so good. I love it. Right? And we have in this movie, there's this little cub named Simba. And his entire life changes because of one lie that he believes. We have this little lion cub, right, that thinks that he's responsible for his father's death. So what does he do? He runs away, right? We have this, this lion that is supposed to be a king, but is living as an outcast. You see what the lie has done to his life. That's exactly what Satan seeks to do to us. The second, I believe, is comparison. Now, I, I just have to say that comparison is not always a bad thing. I think you can use comparison in the right way, but I'm also going to argue with this that we, most of the time we don't. And I also believe that Satan uses comparison in our lives against us in two different ways. He either wants us to compare ourselves with people that we assume are less than we are, which makes us overconfident and often complacent, or he wants us to judge ourselves next to people that we deem that are way more valuable than we are. And it makes us insecure with who we are and kind of makes us sometimes feel hopeless. I want to read a quote to you from a book that I've been reading by Jordan Peterson. This is what he says. He says, comparison to others is simply inappropriate. Perhaps you are overvaluing what you don't have and undervaluing what you do have. When the internal critic puts you down using such comparisons, it selects a single arbitrary domain of comparison, whether it be fame, talent, power, whatever it is, then acts as if that domain is the only one that's relevant. Then contrast, it un contrast you unfavorably with someone who is truly stellar. Within that singular domain and your motivation to do anything can be undermined. Like this is exactly what happened to me as a kid. I'm the youngest of three boys. My brothers are four and six years older than I am. My oldest brother was a D1 athlete, right? My, my middle brother took the AP calculus test when he was a junior and didn't miss a single blasted question. Like really? Give me a break. So what, what am I? Like really? I'm just sitting at home like, okay, God, what? What talents did you give me? And so for a large part of my life, I felt worthless because I didn't felt like I, I lived up to who my brothers were. But God had, had created me with a different plan and a different purpose and given me tools to do stuff that they can't do. But I had to learn to appreciate what God had given me. And last, Satan loves to use shame. And shame is simply our negative reaction to our sin and failure. 
Genesis 3.8 says, Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid themselves. Now sin and shame cause us to run and hide from God. It's this idea that, that shame comes along and says, yeah, you used to be beautiful, but you're not anymore. Or, or yeah, you used to work really great, but now you're broken. Shame kind of inserts this, this logic into us that the only intelligent thing to do is to run and hide and give up. And I think for me, the worst part of shame is that it kills our relationship with God. This idea that God doesn't want damaged good. This idea that, that you shouldn't pray to God because you're unworthy. Like, how sad is that? But the really, really good news this morning is that God made us. So God is the master painter, so he has the power to restore us. And he has the power to do it with some tools of his own. I, I always get myself wrapped up in some of the weirdest shows. Now, there's one show in particular called American Restoration. Anybody seen that show? It's like they bring in this junk, and then they work on it, and then all of a sudden it's beautiful again. I have one little picture right here. It's just like, I don't even know what that is. It looks like a little casino thing. Uh, but they, they took this thing that, I mean, it looked like a piece of junk, and then they worked on it, and they made it look like brand new again, like just off the shelf. Like that's, that's the power that God has in our lives, the power to restore us and make us look brand new. And the first tool that God uses is his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow and the joints, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like, every time I read this verse, I, I think of surgery. Like this idea that, that the word of God, that the Bible is a scalpel in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Like this, this tool that God can use uh, to remove the things inside of us that shouldn't be there. But to me, it's not just that, but also like something that can help scrape the paint off of our hearts from the vandalism that's been put there. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. If there's any grievous way in me, lead me to the way everlasting. This idea that, that if we open our hearts to God and say, let your word come in, that find anything that's, that's not right, Lord, and, and, and remove it. In other words, find all the cancerous things in me and, and cut them out and make me more like you. See, I believe that the, the lies in our life, they, they need to be dealt with and they need to be removed. And there's no better way than confronting the lies of Satan than with the truth of God's word. So Stephanie and I, we, we bought a house in Moore six, seven, eight months ago. I don't know. It seems like forever now. And we bought this house. And at first, I wasn't convinced about this house because the garage had been converted, but ended up being like one of the greatest things ever because we can have house church in there. We have a whole bunch of kids in there. It's, it's, it's been a real blessing. But I'm, I'm big into woodworking, and so I, I had to find a, a place to put my tools where I could still work and, and do that thing and, and, you know, get better at my hobby. And we had this shed out back. And it was one of those things where the shed was there, and there was a lock on it, and I had no idea what I was going to be getting myself into when I opened that thing because they had just left their stuff in there. So I picked a day, and I said, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to clean it all out. And I just... I. I knew that I was going to probably see some things in that shed that I really didn't want to deal with. 
uh, most of all spiders. And I don't really like spiders, but if, if I mentally prepare myself for spiders, like I'm good to go. So I went and I got my glove. Notice I said one glove because I lost the other one. So I got one glove on and I'm ready. Like I'm mentally prepared for spiders. So I'm going in there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see some hairy spiders. And I'm like, bam, you dead. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. So I walk into the back of the shed and they had left this yoga mat there. And my first thought is, I'm never going to use that. So I'm going I'm to throw this away. I grab this yoga mat. I pick it up and a snake falls out the bottom of it. I don't know if you guys heard me when I was saying, I said I was mentally prepared for spiders. I was not mentally prepared for snakes, so I did what any logical man would do, and I ran out of the shed and screamed as loud as I could, right? So then I, I went, and I, I called my new neighbor and one of my good friends, Brian Marlette, and we were going we're gonna to go after this snake together. I got a picture of us. We're about to go in there after the shed. And look, you can see I wasn't lying. I only got one glove on, so I don't know what happened to the other one. And so we went to confront this snake, and then, praise be to God, the snake knew we were coming, I guess, and decided to get out of there. We, we couldn't find it. Uh, but I, we have got to learn to do this in our lives. We've got to learn to confront the serpent, to confront his lies, not of our own accord, but with the word of God, with the truth. See, Scripture says, if you resist the devil, then he will flee, right? This is good. And that part of it is if we know the truth of God and know his word, Satan comes against us with his lies and then goes, well, this is a waste of time because he knows the word of God. He knows the truth and he will flee from us. You know what I did? I, I picked another day and I decided I'm going to spend the entire day and I'm going to snake proof the shed, right? Because there's no way I'm going to be able to concentrate and focus and, and be at peace while working in there if I know that there's any chance that there could be a snake in there. So I took little wood planks and I laid them around every crack and corner and I guarantee you I used probably five bottles of silicone. And I went to every crack and corner and crevice. It smelled like vinegar in there for like three weeks. Like I just made sure that if I was going to be in there, there wasn't going to be no snake in there either. And that's exactly what we have to do with our hearts. We've got to learn to snake proof our hearts. In the same manner, we have to hide the word of God deep within our hearts. That's exactly how Jesus defeated Satan in the desert. He came at him. He even came at him with the word. He says, no, 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 you're not getting me. I know the word of God. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're feeling alone and you can remember that scripture. Let us not neglect a meeting together, but encourage one another. You can remember that scripture where God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Maybe you're feeling defeated and you can remember the scripture where God says, take heart, I have overcome the world. You can remember the scripture that says, we are more than conquerors, right? When we're feeling tempted, we say, no, 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 no temptation has seized me except what is common to man and Christ is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can, what I can handle. And when I am tempted, he will provide a way out so I can stand up under it. When you're feeling unloved, you can remember that Christ showed his love in this, that he died for us while we were still sinners. When we're feeling stained or broken, we can remember 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then when you're feeling hungry, 
We can remember that scripture says that man does not live by bread alone, that if he feeds the sparrows, that he will feed me as well. When we're feeling worthless, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper us. I've started doing something, and you guys are probably going to think I'm crazy, and that's, that's fine. That's probably true. I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but I get phone calls all day long from scams. At least I'm assuming it's scams. I don't know what else it would be. And I get them from, it's like from all over the country. And what I used to do is I used to just ignore them, right? I would hit end or I'd get on the line and try to take me off the no call list. None of that seemed to be working. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start a new strategy. I'm hitting one. I'm saying, yes, I would like to speak to someone, please. And so I, I speak to someone and I just confront them. I say, oh, oh, the warranty on my car is out. Oh, that's interesting. What kind of car do I have? Oh, you don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, what, do you know what my name is? And I actually had some guy the other day, he was like, well, you don't know what my name is. I was like, dude, you called me. Why would I know what your name is? Like, he started fighting back. But my hope is that at some point, they'll be like, listen, you don't want to call this guy, Okay. Quit calling this guy because he's crazy, right? That's, that's, that's what my hope is. But, but that's what we've got to learn to do to confront Satan, to stand up for what we know, to stand up to the defeated Satan, to say, listen, Satan, I'm not falling for it. That's not who I am. It's not my destiny. That's not who God sees. You're a liar. Get out of my face, right? We used to do this when I was in middle school. We'd say, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening, right? Anybody else remember that? We got to learn to do that to say, and I, under, I understand that you, you can't change the way that you feel. But that's the point of God's word, to be an anchor for our soul, right? John 8, 32 says this, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Come on now. Set you free. That's right. You know this. Free from the lies that seek to vandalize your heart. But see, this is all about faith. It's learning to trust the word of God over the way that we feel. And the more time that we spend storing the word of the Lord in our hearts, the better. And maybe you haven't had much success reading in the past. Man, one thing I would say is keep going at it. It's a skill. It, it takes time. The other thing I would say is, man, don't be afraid to ask somebody for help. Like, all the times I read the Bible as a student was like an absolute waste of my time because nobody taught me how to read the Word until I was in college. And, and honestly, that's why I do today what I do. That is, that is my greatest love is to teach people how to get something out of reading the Word of God. That's, that's why we're here as a staff. If you're struggling getting stuff out of a devotional or, or out of the Word of God, come see us. That's, that's what we're here for. We want to help you get more out of reading the Word. Let God restore you with the truth of his word. We've also got to learn to let him restore us through his son. See, Jesus came not just to be a savior, but he also came to be our example and to be our friend. Isn't that so cool? I was thinking about this the other day. Like when Jesus, you, you look at his entire life, there's not one time where he sought praise. He didn't come here to be God, Right? He came here for a relationship with us. Like that, that's really cool. There's this story in scripture of Peter walking on the water. And the disciples are out on the boat and they're without Jesus. And all of a sudden they see this dude walking on the water from far away. And they're scared at first because they don't know who it is. And Peter says, he calls out and says, Jesus, if that's you, then call me out to walk on the water with you. And that, that's exactly what happens. And Peter walks on, the, Peter walks on water, y'all. He's not the savior. 
He's focused. He's looking into the eyes of Jesus. But scripture says that he looks around, sees the wind and waves, and then he sinks, right? He took his focus off of Jesus Christ and he sank. So we get this idea in scripture that if we would keep our eyes focused on God, on Jesus Christ, we can walk above all of our problems regardless of what what comes at us. But the biggest problem with comparison is that it takes our eyes away from Jesus. And the greatest, to me, the greatest tragedy of comparison is that we're looking at people that aren't even the goal. It's not Jesus, our goal, who we seek to be. You're going to have to forgive me for this next illustration. My daughter's four years old. And she goes, hey, Dad, I want to watch some TV today. I'm like, yeah, let's do it, girl. Whatever you want to watch, let's, let's throw it on. Let's, let's make it happen. She's like, Dad, I want to watch Doc McStuffins. I was like, okay. I don't know who this Doc McStuffins is, but let's make it happen. Let's throw it on. And we, we're watching this episode, and I'm sitting there, and I'm actually watching it with her, and I'm paying attention, which I don't always do. And this episode is blowing me away. There's this little stuffed animal that's Doc McStuffins' helper, and she, this, this animal sees like this rescue worker. And it's like he spends the whole episode like wishing and hoping that he could be a, a, a rescue helper. And this entire time, he's not doing his job well, right? So he's so focused on what somebody else is that he forgot his own giftedness and how he was helping change the world. And I, I, I'm watching this episode and my mind is being blown. I'm saying, I don't even have to preach on Sunday. I just got to show this episode. And they'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. He lost sight of who he was. Second Corinthians tells us the same thing. It says, we would never dare to compare ourselves with people who've based their worth on self-commendation. They check themselves against and compare themselves with one another. It just shows they don't have any sense. Like, it's not intelligent to compare ourselves because God made each and every single one of us unique masterpieces to not then just go and undervalue ourselves by wishing we were something different or to compare our worth against other people. Like Jesus came and died for all people because he thought we were all worth it. Who you are. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Scripture called the parable of the talents. And basically, there's a guy with two talents, a guy with one talent, and a guy with five talents. And, and Jesus says, go to work, and I'm going to come back at some point. And the guy with one talent just buries it. The guy with two gets four. The guy with five makes ten. But it's really important to see that, that within this parable that Jesus is not pleased with the amount that they make, but rather he's pleased with what they've done with what they've been given. Does that make sense to you? So he's not asking for the two-talent guy to be five. And he's not asking for the five-talent to be two or the one-talent to be two. He's just asking for us to do with what he's given. See, comparison will only ever undermine and undervalue your talent and your mission. Your job is not to be somebody else. Your job is to do you, to be you. Like there's, there's this idea in scripture that a, a together as a church, we become the body of Christ. And scripture says, listen, what good is it if we're just a bunch of eyeballs? All we're ever going to do is see. We're never going to be able to help anybody. What good is it if you're just a bunch of right feet? You're not ever going to be able to walk anywhere. Like we're all different for a reason. Don't let Satan rob you of your purpose and your mission and your calling. Don't let him whisper into your ear and say, hey, come on, look over here. Look, look what you could do or who you could be. 
Instead, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And in him, and only in him, can we become what we want to become. Not just what he wants for us, what we want. Isaiah 26.3 says this. I love this, man. This is great writing. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, whose focus is stayed in you. This idea that seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And to me, what that means is that that we've got to be people that take every thought captive. And that means when we notice ourselves kind of drifting away and and looking at other people and and seeing the wind and the waves, that we, we find ways in our lives to refocus on God, to give God our desires and to learn to get into his presence, whatever that means for you. And for this, you've, you've got to know yourself. This week, I, I just felt like God laid it on my heart. To, that I, I just want you to go into the sanctuary, grab your cajon, and just worship. Okay, y'all? Because I can't sing, right? I can barely beat a box. Like, really? That's, that's all I got. But, but that was my time to worship, to recenter, to refocus on him. And it's, it's different for all of us in, in different times. Sometimes it's, it's about sitting around with other believers and, and talking theology. Sometimes it's, it's, it's about just the fellowship. Sometimes it's about digging into the word. Like, what is it for you that helps you refocus on Jesus? Let God restore you with a friendship with his son. And the last one is just, we've, we've got to learn to let God restore us with his limitless love. Probably a couple years ago, I had a day with Malin that was just horrendous. That's the word we're going to use, horrendous. Uh, Any of you that you've had kids or worked with kids, you know that there's just some days they just ain't having it, right? Right? And she was throwing fit after fit after fit, and I was getting tired, and I was getting cranky, and then I wanted to start throwing fits, and then there was just like this last little, she, I was trying to hold her and calm her down, and she grabbed my beard and just ripped hair out, and I was just like, I was in such, such pain, and I was so frustrated and so mad, and as soon as Steph got home, I was like, you got to take her, I got to get you out of here. And that night... I went into her room as she was sleeping and I looked down at her and I was overwhelmed with my love for her. Even even though it had been the worst day ever, I was overwhelmed. And, And I felt like in that moment, God was trying to teach me something. He was trying to say, Will, help me to understand this. Help me to understand why you can love your daughter that way, but I can't love you that way. And I was like, oh, wow. How ridiculous is it to think that I'm capable of a love greater than God is? That's how God feels for us. His love knows no limits. I can be so negative and so critical when I look at myself and and how I sin and how I fail. Actually, a couple years ago, I, I, I saw an entry in one of my old journals, and it just said this. When will you quit loving me, God? I just was ashamed and broken. And just as Adam and Eve's sin and shame caused them to hide, 
that's what we do too. We hide. We run from the open arms of a loving father. But sometimes we're so timid and afraid to go to him in prayer, either believing that we're not worthy or maybe it's just we're afraid to, to deal with the junk in our life. But what if instead, what if instead we, we let our sin motivate us to run to God? Like learning to fall forward, right? Fall into the arms of God. Can you imagine, like, at some point, does Satan go, maybe I should quit tempting this guy? Because every time you tempt me, Satan, and every time I fail, I'm running right to Jesus. So you can keep tempting me, but it's just pushing me closer and closer to the Father. Maybe he'll think twice. We got to choose to lean into prayer because it's, it's prayer that connects us to God and his love. It's, it's prayer that takes us to the throne room of God. It's, it's the place where we can be changed and forgiven. It's the place where we see that God's not mad at us. Like, think about it. Like, letting your son die on the cross, does that sound like the actions of someone who's mad at you? It doesn't to me. Romans 8, 38 says, For I have every confidence that nothing can come between us and the love of God revealed in the anointed Jesus our Lord, not even your shame can hide you from the love of God. Not can you even run from it because you can't run forever. And when you get tired and you fall down and you fall asleep, there God is standing over you, overwhelmed with his love for you, regardless of what the day's been like, regardless of what you've done and who you've been. God's love for you has no limits Genesis 3.21 says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve his wife garments of skins and clothed them. If this doesn't blow your mind, you're not understanding what's happening here. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The Lord God went to the first sacrifice, killed another one of his creation to cover up the shame of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were running from the very person who loved them so much he was willing to kill something up so that he could cover their shame. Yet that's who they chose to run from. To run and hide from the one who would cover it. To run and hide from the one that would see the lies and the comparison and the shame. The one that has the power to remove all of this to reveal what was created in the first place the beauty that is inside of us that that stuff would be no more that it would have no power over us God sacrifices one of his creations foreshadowing what Jesus would do on the cross that there would be a perfect lamb that would die that would be the sacrifice of all sacrifices. And this morning, we're going to ask the ushers if they would come, and, and we're going to take part in communion. And my hope for you this morning is you hold that cup in your hand, and you hold that bread, and you see the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled out, that you would remember that shame has no place anymore because it is his blood that has covered that. It is his word that shuts down the lies 
And it is his son and the example and his friendship that has told us that it's okay to be who we are. Chuck, would you lead us this morning? and forsaken I was shattered by the fall broken and forgotten feeling lost and all alone summoned by the king into the master's courts lifted by the savior and cradled in his arms I was carried to the table Seated where I don't belong Carried to the table Swept away by His love And I don't see my brokenness anymore When I'm seated at the table of the Lord I'm carried to the table The table of the Lord Fighting thoughts of fear Wondering why he called my name Am I good enough to share this cup The world has left me lame Even in my weakness The Savior called my name In his holy presence I'm healed and unashamed And I'm carried to the table Seated where I don't belong Carried to the table Swept away by His love And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord oh I'm carried to the table the table of the Lord and I don't see my brokenness anymore When I'm seated at the table of the Lord, I'm carried to the table. The table of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, as you met with your disciples in the upper room, said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. This is my blood that has been poured out 
told us to do this so that we would always remember the sacrifice, that we'd always remember that our shame has been covered. Lord, that you are a God and everything you do is to draw us closer to you because that's how incredible your love is. Lord, just help us to lean into that today, Lord. That we'd let your word and your son and your love begin to change and, and wipe clean the, just the crud in our heart. That's just the stuff that we've believed. It's just not true. And Lord, as we take communion together, Lord, that you would use this as a reminder that shame has no place, no power over us anymore. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen.